Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we are broadcasting from the top of the Hayburn Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is Forward Radio, WFMP-LP Louisville, 106.5 FM on your radio dial. Now, if you want to find out a little bit more about our station, you can go to forwardradio.org. And we are live streaming now, so you can click on a button and listen to us anywhere in the city, anywhere in the state, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. So, folks, again, this is On the Edge with K.A. Owens, and I'm K.A. Owens, and we're here with Abigail Kenyon today. So say hello to the people, Abigail. Hi, people. So Abigail is a second-year law student at the University of Louisville Brandeis School of Law. So tell us uh, what that's like, uh, uh, what made you go to law school, and, and what have you learned, and what are some of the interesting things that you were working on while you were there? Okay. Um, well, I guess I'll start with what law school is like. Um, for us, in the past three years, it's been a very non-traditional experience because of the pandemic. So our first year, we started out um, in a hybrid mode. So we went to class half the time, and the other half of the time, it was taught entirely online. And anybody that has gone to law school knows that you generally cannot get a law degree online, but that's how they gave us hours for the most part in the beginning. Um, and now we've transitioned to more of the in-person um, classes and we actually get to see our classmates see their faces and know what they look like. So that's very cool. Um, and in the past year, we've really gotten to grow together as a community and as a school, um, just being more connected and not at an arm's reach or an arm's distance from each other as far as that goes. Um, I came to law school. I grew up in a very, very small place. My grandparents raised me and they worked for the union of operating engineers. They both operated heavy equipment and I watched them work extremely, extremely hard. And I knew that I never wanted to have to go out and break my body in a way that they did. So education has always been freedom to me. And I knew that that was how I would get out of Columbia, Kentucky was educating myself and going to college. And after I graduated from undergrad, I said, you know, I've really always wanted to be an attorney, so I'm gonna go ahead and do that. <laughs> and I took the LSAT and now I'm over halfway done and it doesn't seem real that it's been two and a half years, but um, my upbringing really pushed me to come here. Um, like I said, my grandparents raised me, so I saw quite a bit with my birth parents in and out um, with their addictions and demons that they've battled, and it pushed me to want to be better for them, for my family, and for everybody else around me that didn't really get that opportunity. So I do it for me and for my brother and sister, Jacob and Chelsea, so that they know that you can. And um, that's, that's really why I'm here, I guess. Um, has it been a good experience so far? It's been overall great, yeah. I have grown and changed. I don't know the girl that I was two years ago, and I feel like I'm a grown woman at this point. Maybe I'm not, but um, the personal growth and the strategic thinking and the articulation and how you speak with people and how you present yourself and the connections that you're able to make, um, they're life-changing and the connections and the little village that I've built for myself in two years time with UKA, with uh, Justin, with Joanne, with all the different people that are a part of that village. The connections have been my favorite part and networking is by far the most important thing um, in law, in 
anything that you do. Um, connections with people are important. So that's so, been the uh, biggest thing that law school has taught me. So as far as the, the case law method, uh, mm -hmm. you, uh, how does that work online? Uh, do you uh, read cases and uh, uh, send in essay responses, or do you just read them and then twice a year you have a test? How does that work? So the way law school is structured generally is we have one test at the end of the semester or final, and you have participation credit throughout um, for speaking in class and what have you, but the majority bulk of your grade is based off of that one exam, so you better make sure you do great on it. Um, is this online when uh, that was going on? Did you? It was. It's like that online, and it's like that now. Um, so the way that they did it online, they attempted to do it the same way we do it in person. So it would be um, like a Zoom call or something like that, and the professor would be the presenter and they would talk and ask questions and they would have expected you to have read the cases that they assigned however many days before. Um, you read that and then the way they teach back case law is they ask you questions about the case and about the analysis that the court got to and kind of why um, the court got there and why not. Um, and then they ask you what you think about it for the most part if they're going to spark classroom discussion. They ask what we think as far as should it have been this way or should it not have. Um, and with the different subject areas, it really varies as far as criminal law or tort law or whatever, how far you can get into that. But that's how they teach it back is they ask us questions about it. And so that's how they did it online too. Um, we would get on a Zoom call and there would be 40 of us on one Zoom call and we would have our microphones on and our cameras on and we just made the best of it. Okay. So there's no more Blue Book anymore. So... Blue Book is a citation format, um, and lawyering skills is a writing class that you take your first year. Um, my professor taught us out of the Allwood, is what we called it, A-L-W-D um, formatting, and um, that's just a style of citation. Other professors still use Blue Book, um, and they'll teach out of the Blue Book, and they're really not that many <laughs> differences in Allwood versus Blue Book, um, but it's just the it's a brand as far as that goes or a style of uh, citation or formatting and Dean Sweeney likes Allwood, uh, Professor Oaks likes Blue Book so it really just depends on the professor that you get but you're not gonna have very much variance. Blue Book is actually though what um, like the Bar Association that's how you're going to be expected to cite with them. So uh, you're going to class, uh, you're enjoying the class, it's getting back to normal uh, mm -hmm. uh, where you can sit in the same room with people. Same room with people, and, right uh, next to you. <laughs> okay, all right. And so, um, and so, uh, 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 what about projects related to law school, uh, but not in class? What, what is that? Are there those going on as Absolutely. well? Absolutely. Um, so right now, uh, since August, I've been working with Adams Landon, which Walton, um, that's a firm over here on West Ormsby. I don't know if you're familiar. Um, they do civil rights and uh, some employment discrimination, 1983. There are a couple attorneys there that also do criminal, but that's very few and far in between. It's primarily larger civil cases. Um, and Gary Adams and Laura Landonwich have been impeccable as far as mentoring me and allowing me to work on actual motions and real life things that I'm going to have to do in two years versus writing an essay, which I'm never gonna do again. Lawyers don't write essays. 
We write motions and briefs and orders and memos. Um, well, not orders, judges do that. Anyway, so they have given me the opportunity to work on actual cases with real life people who I've been able to see the work that I'm doing impact them. And that's something that you don't get in law school. You get a book and a hypothetical, but law clerking has been the closest thing to being, a, being an attorney that I'm going to get until I graduate. And so I have gotten to work on 1983 cases, section 1983 of the United States Code, um, which prevents police officers from being able to discriminate you for your race, your religion. Um, under qualified immunity, police officers will not be charged criminally um, for any, for ju just about any action that they take in the line of duty. Um, but under 1983, you can still sue civilly if your family member is wrongfully killed or if you're wrongfully arrested or if the police abuse you in any way um, and you can pinpoint the elements and show that it was due to race or religion or sex, you have that protection. And that's been my favorite thing to work on so far. Um, I was telling UK before we started that being a 24-year-old white woman in 2022, I never imagined that the battles that I'm fighting would be battles that should have been over hundreds of years ago. And the cases that come across my desk and the little assignments that are, get, they're huge to me, but little assignments that I'm given are things that I can't believe that I have to sit and argue about, about whether about whether you can be in handcuffs and be hit in the mouth by a police officer, whether or not that's okay, um, about being terminated for the color of your skin. I've worked on cases like that. We've recovered cases like that. Um, the very first assignment that I was given at Adams Land in which Walton was a case out of Clark County, Indiana, where there was an African-American gentleman who was arrested for a nonviolent crime and he was in Clark County. Um, there's video evidence of him being beaten in the face multiple times in pod three um, of the Clark County Jail. And then he is transported to pod two and um, in handcuffs, hit in the face multiple times again. And it's all based on the officer saying, he spat at me and I watched eight hours of jailhouse footage and it's not there because he didn't do that. You have people in the system who have hate in their hearts and they get power and they abuse it. And people that don't have protection take the brunt of that. And I'm still fighting a fight for that reason that should have been over years and years and years ago because people can't respect and love. And so, I never thought I would have to, but I'm so, so honored that I can. And it's just, like I said, it's crazy to me that that's even, even a thing. So would you say that uh, are most of the people in your class, uh, and just a guess estimate, how many people are in your class at the law school? We have 112 students. I think when we started, it might be 108 now between transfers. We haven't had anybody drop out which is awesome, <laughs> but I think we have had a couple people transfer. So we're right around 108 students in my 2L class. So would you say that most of the folk there are true believers in the system as it is, or do most of the folk there think that the system needs to be improved, or 
the most of the folks there saying, hey, you know, I'm just here as a career, you know, to support my family and so on and so forth. Where, where are the most people in your class at? Where are they? The majority of people fall into the bucket of we need improvement, we need reparations, things have to change. Um, in some capacity, whether it be for racial movements or LGBTQI plus rights or something. We all have our own passions and our own environmental law, whatever. Um, we all have our own things that we care so much about. And in our own ways, we all wanna see change. And then there is a very small fraction of people, I believe, that are okay with how things are going. Um, but because there's a majority of people who are not, those people are becoming more and more quiet about it. So it sounds like that would be a good thing, right? That they're quieting down and falling into the, back, the background. To me, that's the most dangerous because then you don't know who you're practicing with and who your colleagues are. And if X, Y, or Z person has this hate and this belief about them and we admit them to the bar and we admit them to a self-policed profession who is there to correct that behavior at that point. So if we can't stop it here when we're in law school and we have this healthy environment to do it in, then it allows people to get out and do it in a non-policed fashion once we get out. And so um, there's so few people like that though. Um, I genuinely believe that Louisville does a great job about choosing students that want to see change that are committed to the public service requirements and the public service mission of Louisville um, and ge I'm genuinely surrounded by good people. Um, even if we disagree, we're able to do it in a way that is articulate and educational. Um, we debate, we do not argue, um, things like that. And so while there are those few people that are gonna slip through the cracks, the majority of the people that are here want the world to be better and they want to see that change. Well, that's good to, that's good to hear. Uh, is the night law school still open? <laughs> so there are night classes. Um, I actually will have a night class this fall. I'm taking trial practice and it's from six to 8 p.m. in the courtroom at school. <laughs> so um, we do still do certain scheduled night classes, but um, it's not required by any means that you do night school. It's just, if you have, if you're a part-time student, for example, if you are a non-traditional student, you work throughout the day, and then you're part-time and you take your classes at night, they have it set up to where that is possible. It's gonna take you longer than three years, of course, but well, that was, uh, as I recall, uh, according to the Courier Journal, which was a controversy, some people wanted to shut down the Knight Law School because the claim was it would raise the status of the law school if they, uh, if they were to shut down the Knight Law School. But that would, again, take away from people who were working jobs right. in the daytime an opportunity to get a law degree. So uh, I'm glad they decided to uh, knock wood, keep the Knight yeah. Law School open. <laughs> I've had a few night classes. Um, my own doing, absolutely. I did that to myself with my own schedule, but mm -hmm. I enjoy the night classes. The law school is empty and it's very quiet and mm -hmm. you can think and you can get things done. And it's really cool to be in there when nobody else is. So, uh, so, uh, 
the folks that you're around, uh, they're uh, positive and upbeat about the future mm -hmm. of the country? I'm just asking. I don't know that any of us are extremely hopeful right now um, about that. I don't think any of us know what to do. Um, I think we all agree that something has to be done and we can't continue the way that we have been for the past, I mean, you wanna say four years, you wanna say eight years. Really and truly, how far do we have to go back to see where it, where it started running down? Um, but I don't think any of us really know where to go or what to do. Mm -hmm. Personally, I feel like it's kind of gotten away from us um, in senses of seeing the Trump presidency and then seeing the Capitol riots in January and how that was handled and then seeing President Biden's um, election. And I mean, the first election I got to vote in was the Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump election. Mm -hmm. And to me, it didn't feel real. Um, you wait forever to be able to have that right. And then these are your options. And really there wasn't a great choice either way, no matter how you flip the dime. And so I think that with that being presented to us and the options that we have being so few and there being so little difference in the, op in the two candidates that were presented anyway, sure, they have a different party name, but really are they that different? Um, it's hard to see kind of a way out of that. Um, with it with everything so divided and so polarized how do we come back together as one well that's a, a good question uh, um, in the past few years uh, i've been sort of impressed by the youth activists around sunrise the climate change activists mm -hmm. i uh, i told them they were inspiring me at uh, several generations well, kind of, well, not generations, age group cohorts. Uh, right. That's what a, a sociologist might say, or a social scientist, who came of age during Trayvon Martin, mm -hmm. uh, Ferguson, and then Breonna Taylor. Right. So many people, uh, you know, of all colors sort of came into uh, what, you know, might be loosely called the movement mm -hmm. around climate change and, and Trayvon and Ferguson and, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and Brianna. So one can't help but be, well, uh, you want to be hopeful. Right, you uh, do. And so when you see so many um, good people getting involved, I mean, I remember when Brianna Taylor was going on, there were people moving to Louisville temporarily mm -hmm. to stand up for Breonna Taylor. I mean, people coming from California with their dogs. Right. Uh, uh, it's amazing. And so you can't help but think there's a possibility for positive change, but you see other things going on, uh, you know, with uh, voter suppression and uh, this kind of thing. And you... Uh, of course, January 6th, and just saying that, of course, on WFMP, we don't endorse any political parties or any political Absolutely candidates. <laughs> uh, you know, we talk about the uh, the issues and Absolutely. the issues around the issues. So, uh, but you see all that going on, and uh, uh, and it, you wonder about the country, particularly January 6th, when you're kind of watching that. And so as a, as a young person in January 6th, were you in school that, 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 that day? I was. Um, actually, 
where was I on January 6th? Well, yeah, close we to- were. We were in school um, because I remember watching with my best friend, Caitlin, watching it be covered. And so did you watch it over, on TV or on social media? Uh, we so originally we saw it on Facebook. And then I think that we went to a news outlet online. I think we went to like CNN or something okay. like that. Okay. And uh, so uh, and so you're watching all of this and, and it makes you wonder. Uh, uh, Made me wonder a lot of things. Uh, and so, uh, 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 I mean, uh, the Capitol Police—they uh, just never expected that white people would do that. That's why I don't they were. Think so white people expected that white people would do that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but that's why they were unprepared. I mean. Uh, because Malcolm Nance is a commentator, is a black commentator. Mm-hmm. Black, Malcolm Nance has volunteered to to go to the Ukraine. He's like sixty, and he's right. get, going to the Ukraine to fight for the Ukrainians. Malcolm, uh, uh, I mean, uh, all right. But uh, uh, so Malcolm Nance says, you know, you've got two thousand people to guard nine buildings. And so, right. And, and so uh, 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 something like that, you know. And he says he he couldn't believe that the the Capitol Police had failed he couldn't believe it uh uh so uh yeah uh and then uh the national guard doesn't get called and these people are ransacking the capital united states of america you know that they're defecating in the building well i think we were watching and we just we were waiting for somebody to stop it and nobody ever did. And then after it was over, we waited for a statement saying what would happen or what the repercussions for these actions would be. And it never came. It never came. And when you're sitting there watching something so, it's just it's out of a movie. You never expected in a million years you would see that, right? Um, a bad one. Like you couldn't. You couldn't. If you wrote that movie, it would be, you know, it would be very entertaining. It's like they they, they write these movies about like uh, White House Down, kind of where somebody yeah, invades um, and takes. You know. I know the Morgan Freeman and right, right. Gerald Butler movie. Very entertaining movies, yeah. but you don't think it actually. No, could, never. Right, right. So uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, and so that's the only time. I mean. Uh, to me, it was almost like uh, during the I, I've compared it to the, to the beer hall pushed uh, pushed that mm-hmm. Hitler did when before he became power, he marched on government and he was it failed. Right. right. He, he and his guys, they marched on the government in Germany and it failed and Hitler's locked up and and he's uh, sentenced to five years but only serves nine months, right. Hitler. And so I, and what I've said is, look, it, while he's in jail, he writes Mein Kampf. So uh, I'm saying if he serves five years, I think he misses his moment. 
because so much was going on in the 20s and 30s and were so many would-be wannabe revolutionaries mm-hmm. trying to do this and most of them are lost to history right because right. they were locked up or shot right and so only a few of them survived if he's locked up for five years he misses his moment and so that's what I'm thinking about the people who went into the Capitol. They need to be locked up for five years so that their moment passes by. Right. So, uh, uh, so that's where I'm at on that. And so, and you know, Merrick Garland is so. Uh, oh, uh, uh, oh, you know, at the uh, Wendell Ford dinner. Uh, uh, John Yarmouth spoke, and he used mm-hmm. humor. Did you go to the Wendell Ford? I was not at Wendell Ford. Okay. Um, so anyway, so and he he refers to uh, Merrick Garland, and uh, and what he essentially says, I'm paraphrasing. He says, by the time Merrick Garland does what he's supposed to do, we'll all be dead. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. And so, for those of you who don't follow, Merrick Garland is the Attorney General of the United right. States of America, and so John Yarmouth is the outgoing Congressperson, United States Congressperson. Uh, from Louisville, the United States mm-hmm. Congress, who was making a, a series of remarks at the Wendell Ford Dinner, which was the major fundraiser for the Louisville Jefferson County Democratic mm-hmm. Party. So, yep. so uh, yeah. And so uh, he said, well, I'll be dead. So, uh, 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 but, you know. Well, hopefully I won't be dead. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you get what he was trying to say. Right. So, uh, I do. But, yeah. Uh, so, but it's 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 good to be hopeful uh, to to believe because I think people need something to believe in. Uh, I look at uh, the Ukraine and I see the courage there amongst mm-hmm. the people. And I wonder uh, would we have is our country set up to have that kind of courage? Because I really don't think that the people that that talk the toughest in America now, I'm talking about the Proud Boys, the the Oath Keepers, the mm-hmm. Three Percenters. Uh, I think if we were invaded by somebody, I think they'd be in hiding somewhere. I think that the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, the Proud Boys, I think they just want to beat up people who are, are, you know, unarmed or defenseless. I'm not sure because I see the Ukrainian Ukrainian people fighting. I see people, I see the mayor of uh, of Kiev, because uh, uh, we can't say Kiev anymore because that's right. the Russian pronunciation. It's the mayor of Kiev, who's Vitaly Klitschko, former heavyweight boxing champion, about six seven. The Klitschko brothers are rich; they could live anywhere. He says, "I'm the mayor of Kiev. I'm here." Right. I'm staying. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and would we have that? Exactly. And and that was the point I, w- I was trying to make earlier with the polarization. Yes. You come together for events we march in the streets and we feel so unified in those moments and it feels so good Mm -hmm. but then we see things like january 6th and it's hard to imagine us being able to put all of our differences aside and really stand up together the way that the people of ukraine have i don't know that we are that connected anymore and that's a very scary thought so i look at the president ukraine uh former stand-up comic uh, a former TV star, he's turned himself into Winston Churchill. <laughs> Absolutely. All he needs is like a white bulldog, you know, and so and a, and a cigar. Uh, so, uh, wow, wow. So I see that, and I, I see the climate change, young people. I see the Trayvon, young people, and people of all ages, uh, mm-hmm. Ferguson people, uh, the Breonna Taylor folks who came out for Breonna. And, and uh, 
and they're all inspiring me that if 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 folks think uh you know we can make this thing work uh hey uh, okay uh, Absolutely. okay uh so uh I will say we are going backward in some major respects. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, uh, when we're at the event where I met you, I asked about do the, uh, uh, the college professors still get the tuition remission? Uh, and, uh, they do th- not. And so, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, and uh, as a lady I know who got a PhD back in the 70s, and she said, well, got a PhD from UK back in the 70s. She said she worked part-time. It was easy, cheap, and fun. That's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, I do not picture, or that's not how I would describe grad school. I have moments that are fun, and some days are easier than others, but it's definitely not cheap. Nothing about this experience is cheap. And, I mean, we do have a lot of fun, but... So, folks, we're here with Abigail Kenyon, uh, second-year law student at the University of Louisville. And uh, you've been listening to Abigail on 106.5 FM Forward Radio. The name of the show is On the Edge with K.A. Owens. And Abigail, thank you. Thank you.